0: Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL draft, the Denver Broncos select Vaughn Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to... You got all the advantages?
1: Welcome to the Aggie Warpod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off key rendition of Creed. We will ask him about both of those things today. The former fight in Texas, Aggie defensive lineman arrived in college station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only Jay Arnold.
0: And Mike, I tell you what, I, uh, I'm used to uh sports heartbreak and, and, and suffering and, and, uh, you know, A&M hasn't been having a great year, but Tottenham Hotspur is top of the table right now. So I'm
1: enjoying that. Well, you just jinx yourself to a pretty I brutal know. way of them falling off the top well, of the table. That was probably happening. We already,
0: anyway. know, we already know that's going to happen. Sure. So it's okay. Sure, you, you enjoy it while
1: you can. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. I encourage, I think that's a good lesson for all sports fans. Like, you can't care about the end result because only one team is happy and that happiness only lasts until like the start of the next practice cycle. Right. So like, enjoy the ride, enjoy the good times, hell enjoy the bad times too. Cause that's part of it as well. Uh, because it's, it's kind of the eat the whole hog situation, uh, when it comes to sports fandom on this week's show, we will, uh, talk about just kind of overall stuff. You know, the Aggies were on a, a much needed idle week. I would imagine, First of all, let's get into this real quick. I, I told Jay I was going to rant about a few things before uh, we got into the show, because I'm kind of in an honorary mood today. I hate when people say the bye week. Where are you skipping? Where are you advancing to? You are idle. You are idle. It is an open date. You are not, it's not a buy. You did not get to advance past anything. Sorry, that's the first one. Out of the way real quick. The Aggies were on an idle week. They were at an open date uh, after two straight losses, one to Alabama. One to Tennessee on the road, so we're kind of talk about just overall topics and, and what uh, we're feeling, what the temperature is with Aggie Nation going in uh, to the South Carolina home game on Saturday. And second down, we will grade the position units uh, through the first five, first seven games of the year. Now that we had a natural break there uh, with the idle week, and then in third down, we'll talk about the South Carolina preview. Uh, both teams kind of struggling right now. Uh, somebody's got to win on Saturday uh, in Kyle Field, so we will talk about that football game, and then a fourth down. We'll get a little loose with it. We'll we'll go off topic. We'll ask Jay about many things, first of all, being his trip to South Dakota, the road trip he made up there, and if he sung any creed. And if so, what is the song of choice? Before we get started, please rate, subscribe, five-star, tell a friend, all the good stuff. You've listened to podcasts before. This isn't your first time. You know how to help us do this thing. Those reviews are a big part of how we get in front of new people uh, not everybody is on Twitter all the time or on social media all the time. And and the more reviews, the more five-star reviews, the more written reviews we have, the easier it is to get on the algorithm and get in front of more Aggie uh, fans. Please go to homefieldapparel.com. If you need some shirts for the game coming up Saturday, uh, promo code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, will get you 15% off of your first order. Uh, they got bomber jackets this week and Aggie one being one of those. Uh, how many how many homefield Apparel... Uh, items do you have at this moment, Jay? Are you do you have a tally? Uh, I'm looking into my home field closet
0: right now, where I have probably upwards of of 25 shirts. Uh, I also have a few hoodies. I have some home field stickers on my cooler, uh, mm. and then I have my home field pennant that is that is above my home field closet. So, if I had to estimate, it's probably 35, 40 home field items, uh, plus a tattoo. Plus a tattoo.
1: That's right. Plus a tattoo. I'm glad that they're uh, sponsoring this show because of that nature right there. I, I have probably five to 10 uh, home field apparel stuff. I, I'll be honest with you. I had never ordered anything until the sponsorship kind of thing happened. I'm a minimalist. I have like seven T-shirts. Uh, it's pre- if anybody watches this on YouTube regularly or the eyes on Texas regularly, I get made fun of a lot because I wear the same shirts over and over again. But it's because those are the only shirts I have. Well, I don't know why people need 32 shirts. It's but functionality. Have, we don't We don't need to have a full closet right. of stuff. I move around a lot. You know, I, I do laundry on a regular basis. Like it, it's fine with me. I just always felt like the, the bottom 10 shirts just stayed there. I'd have to do the rotate thing where you did laundry, but then you had to like rotate through because you were only using the same stuff. But what I need to get is a hoodie. I need to get a Home Field apparel hoodie. Any listeners out there with an idea of what hoodie I should order, go ahead and send that to me because Home Field doesn't have UTSA. Uh, Really only only big beef with Home Field, no no Roadrunner gear. Uh, And so I'm going to have to to go outside of my alma mater to find a hoodie there on Home Field. So please let me know what your favorite hoodies are, and I'll go ahead and order that as we move into cold season. I believe, I think one day it'll get cold again. I'm not 100% sure. I've heard that occasionally in this time of year it gets cold, Uh, but I I don't know, it's 83 degrees outside. It's humid as shit outside in Austin, Texas today, 83. I sweated walking my dogs around the block like 20 minutes ago. Uh, It was 1130 in the afternoon. So uh, great times here in in, uh, Central Texas, Uh, weather-wise, and we'll see if maybe we can catch a break. Although it seems like it's just going to become 50 degrees. We're going to skip past Ah, uh, seventy, even the the high sixties, and just go straight into my dog not being able to shit outside because he's too cold. So that's <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of fun. All right, Jay, uh, let's get into like this football thing before we lose every single listener that we have. Uh, let's talk just kind of overall topics. Texas didn't Texas a And M didn't play last week. They were off. They were idle after two straight losses. Definitely a, a one that they needed to. I wanted to ask your opinion. I love talking to you about this stuff because you were a former player. You know a lot of a lot of people who played high level football. Uh, more so than like Cedar park in 2002. Right. And so what is the main advantage of a bye week What, what do you get? I just did the thing I hate. What, what, what is the main advantage of an open week of an idle date uh, (laughs) where, where you're able to kind of, I'd imagine, I've always thought it was injuries, but is there some stuff that you can really fine tune and get ahead of on, on that date?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's two things. It's injuries like you talked about, but it's also looking at where you've made mistakes throughout the year and getting a chance to correct some of those repeated mistakes. Uh, Whereas like you're going to have a little bit of game prep, like Texas A&M is going to be getting ready for South Carolina a little bit, but you're also going to be able to look back and say, you know, this is an area where we struggled in coverage. This is an area where we struggled in stopping the run. Uh, Let's address those issues so that they don't continue to pop up on film. Uh, So those are really the two key aspects is uh, getting healthy and then correcting repetitive errors, uh, and then the third part is, again, getting a little bit extra prep for your opponent.
1: So a lot of self-scouting, I'd imagine, where you kind of find out your tendencies and what you're doing and, and kind of reverse scout there to to find out what teams are doing against you?
0: Yeah, the first half of the week is going to be that self-scouting uh, where, you, where you go into it and, and you look at, hey, uh, you know, if you're an offensive line, like you can see where your giveaways are, like your tells, uh, if you're pulling or, or things like that. Uh, defensive line, like, if you're struggling, let's say, uh, to rush the passer on on non-obvious pass rushing downs, there are things that you can work on there. Uh if you're a corner and you know, you have something as simple as you do something with your hands while uh when, when you're in man coverage, like teams pick up on that. And that's something that you can address and self scout uh in the bye week that that maybe you know you don't have as much time to address. Uh, during a regular prep. But then you get into the second half of the week and it's kind of like you take that self-scout and you apply it to preparing for your opponent. Uh, and then you get into the week and then you finally, you know, you get off by, or idle week, sorry. Uh, and, <laughs> and you can actually start preparing hard for that opponent and, and really focusing in on what they're doing. But yeah, bye week's a lot about addressing your own tendencies and failings over the course of the season.
1: What's it like as a player? I mean, is it I mean, is it fun because you kind of have like a a week off that Saturday to to kind of maybe hang out with some friends and family that maybe you wouldn't rest and relax? I'm sure everybody's bumps and bruised, you know, going into to week nine of a football season, or is it one of those just kind of hey, I'm here to play football and this week is going to feel more like fall camp where we're just practicing against each other, not seeing an opponent
0: yeah, it's it's a it's a double-edged sword, right? Uh, on one hand, like it is nice to have that Saturday to uh not be you know worrying about the game and and getting a chance to rest and recuperate and uh see some folks that you may not normally get to see uh but on the other hand like a lot of times during the week and going through practice having a game is like the light at the end of the tunnel that you're working for right 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 and it, and it's a huge thing to look forward to so it can really make some of those bi week tra- practices drag on, right? Knowing that you don't have an opponent there at the end of the week, and obviously, like part of it is you're preparing for the next week's game. But uh, sometimes it's hard; it's hard to get through whenever you know that, like, look, we're not we're not playing anybody at the end of this week. It, it's just uh, it's just kind of a slog, uh,
1: you know, making it through. I know this is a sliding scale and there's not an exact answer and I'm not talking about people who are injured, but just like guys who are playing almost every snap who are starting who are playing week in week out. What percent do you think the average college football player is at around week eight of a football season, right? If you're hundred percent, you're probably not even hundred percent going into the season, but let's just say you're hundred percent of what you can be going into the football season around this time of year. Where are you at? Even if you're not, you know, actually injured.
0: I would say like seventy-two. Okay, is probably and the number that I would put it at.
1: And if you're at seventy-two percent after you know seven eight weeks of the season, how much can you gain back in that extra week? Right, like where would you be after a whole week off?
0: I think you can get eighty-two percent back. And a lot of times, like if your guys are you know starting and and playing most snaps. They'll get like some some extra breathing room in the bye week practice. Like you'll you'll let those guys kind of uh, slide out a little bit because you know what you got with them. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be things that you have to correct, but at the same time, like it's a brutal season to get through, and and you have to give some guys some some rest. And you'll have that as well in like regular weeks of practice, but with the bye week, you can really emphasize it. Uh, and then again at the end of the season when you start getting into bull prep, uh, are are the two times that you can kind of spell your starters a little bit. Uh, but yeah, no, like, I think you can get like a good 10% back, uh, during, during the idle week. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to catch myself on that so that I don't contribute. I laid, to the a, I laid a
1: landmine out there today <laughs> and I already did it myself. It's hard verbally. It bothers me more when people write it, you know, cause there's a, there's a checks and balances there when you're publishing something that that should happen. But yeah, talking, it has become just part of the verbiage. Yeah, it's always a, it's always funny how uh, things enter into the vernacular. But, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh no, nah, I mean it's. I would say a good ten percent is what you can get back, and then some guys maybe more, some guys maybe less. If we're talking like an average, though, I think you can get ten percent back.
1: When looking at a position unit like the offensive line and the struggles that they've had is, is, is it enough time to fix issues that way and to move guys around and cross train and or are you just so, you know, you're in the fog of war, right? And this is the guys we got. These are the positions we got. You can fine tune some stuff, but there's not any real overhauls you can make in that amount of time.
0: No, you can't make overhauls for a you unit know, that's struggling as much as the offensive line. Uh, and And we talked about it last week, like the offensive line, it feels like there's, issues with scheme validity there's issues with you know the body types for what a is running uh there's just like a plethora of problems and yeah one week is not going to be enough to fix all that right like the, <laughs> there's going to be a ton of issues going forward and you know probably you probably need a, a staff change there as well uh t- to really try to maximize things and you know maybe a shift in philosophy but all of that is way more than, than the idle week can can contribute to. So I, I don't see that move or that group improving. Uh, on the flip side of it, though, like if you have some small issues for a group that's been mostly successful, uh, I think you can make little tweaks that will have a positive net effect uh, throughout the season. But as as big as all the line struggles have been, no, uh, one week's not going to be enough.
1: And then coming out of Tennessee, it was sky is following type stuff for the Aggie fan base, right? I mean, you you look on social media, the the, the conversations about Jimbo were in full force. What you do, wh- what the buyout's going to be, uh, how you get out of that contract, all that kind of stuff. Um, now that we've had a little bit of time to to kind of take uh, take a breath and kind of see how how stuff's changed, do you what do you what do you see as the overall mood uh, in College Station and the Texas A and M fan base right now?
0: I think it's not as intense as it was going into the bye week, uh, but I don't think there's been that much change overall. I think it's like people are very much still uh, up in arms about the contract and the buyout and and the future of the season. Uh, One thing that maybe I think people are a little bit more, uh, we'll say optimistic about is Tennessee and Alabama do appear to be two very good teams. Uh,
1: What about Miami. Yeah,
0: Miami, I mean, they beat Clemson.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. I guess you just got to get Mario into a kneel the ball down situation. That was Texas A&M's mistake.
0: Yeah, uh, and and actually get him to kneel the ball down. But, uh, no, I mean, you look at what uh, A&M has this year. Obviously, the Miami loss is bad. uh, But you have two losses that aren't terrible by any means. Uh, And if you can snag a win against one of LSU or Ole Miss on the road, uh, it does a lot for this program. Oh, uh, no doubt. No doubt. There's, I think there's a little more hope than there was. Now, whether that hope is well-founded or not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the other part of this is, and I think we'll get into it in fourth down, is uh, the state of Texas is kind of embroiled in a civil war right now uh, because of the... ALCS. And I think that's been kind of a distraction for a lot of yeah. people as well. Yeah.
1: Got them. I got, got them something else to be mad about and to, to <laughs> complain about and argue about online rather other than the, than the Jimbo contract. It, you're right though about the point of, you know, th- none of these losses are embarrassing. You know, you, you know, Miami's a ranked team. Alabama may win the sec. Tennessee's, Tennessee's a good team, probably the second best team in the East. But that's also kind of the score at A&M. Like you play in the SEC. Like that that you know like you're going to play 5 to 6 top 25 teams a year, especially if you add one really good non-conference opponent in there as well. And so, you know, you can go 8 and 4 really easily with against good teams, but you're measuring yourself against those really good teams, right? And so that's kind of the hard part of the A&M job. Uh, well, and, is, and
0: they've been competitive against both those really good teams too. It wasn't like you're getting blown out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they probably they could have won both of those games, right? If not for um some offensive issues there, especially in the second half, scoring three points in both of those second halves. So good to have football back. You know, I, I think it's good for everybody. You know, it's good for the players, it's good for the coaches, it's good for the good for the fans, absolutely good for the media uh to have something else to talk to other than to sit there in the bye week and come up with storylines and start doing math on on it's always bad when when media folks start writing about like numbers. That's when that's when you're in a lot of trouble as a program. So, uh, And then good news is, and we'll talk about this in third down, South Carolina is not playing very well right now. So, you know, the, the it's the opponent you want at home uh, coming off of an open week uh, that should fare well uh, for Texas A&M. And second down here, uh, let's, let's grade some position units uh, through seven games, almost two-thirds of the way uh, through the football season, which is crazy. I always compare the college football season uh, to an amusement park ride where you sit in line in anticipation for an hour and a half for a five-minute go-around. And that's how college football feels. We talk about it for eight or nine months. I do a whole magazine. We all do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you look up, and it's week nine. And so that's where we are, enjoy all of this. We're in the best part of the football season, and I would argue the best part of the year. When the World Series is about to go on, like the late part of the Major League Baseball playoffs, the meat of the NFL season, the back end of the college football regular season, and then the NBA starts uh, this week as well. Then you add in Thanksgiving, which is undeniably the best holiday uh, in existence. <laughs> and this late part of October into the early part of December, in my mind, is the best time of the year.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, me being the, the, nerd that i am i get my nascar playoffs in here Mm. uh the formula one season obviously is already wrapped up so that doesn't really matter that's been wrapped Uh, up yeah it's been wrapped up since summer but uh you also get a get a little hockey thrown in there the the start of the hockey season uh my blackhawks have a a new uh weapon in Connor bedard who who looks really good as a as a future star so i'm excited about that but i agree with you from from a sports fan perspective You can't get much better than this. I mean, Premier League's going on. You have everything you could want in sports. Uh, I I don't think it gets better than this time of year.
1: The weather's good. You know, it hadn't gotten to like January, February, really cold time, but it shouldn't be 100 degrees either. I I know 2023 is trying to battle me uh, with this one, but uh, yeah, great part of year. My favorite part of year uh, for sure in the state of Texas, no doubt. Let's grade some position units and we'll start, you know, and we'll just go in the order. Everybody knows that we're going to go in the order. I thought about doing defense first to be cute, you know, but we just need to start just offense and go down the road here. <laughs> uh, let's go quarterback. I'll go first on this one. I, I gave quarterback a B. Uh, I think with Max Johnson coming in, he hasn't been uh, as good uh, averaging about ninety five less yards per game through the air with Max Johnson in there. Uh, he's completing fifty six point seven uh, percent of his passes where where Connor Wegman was completing sixty eight point nine uh, percent of his passes. Uh, but I think with the offensive line playing that the the way that they have, which hasn't allowed the running game to get going as well as it probably should with the talent at running back, I think those guys have, have played pretty good. Uh, the touchdown to uh, interception uh is what 15 to six a, as a group and so i think a&m has been okay at quarterback not great but i don't think it's the reason that they've lost many football games
0: yeah I, I would put it a c plus just because i think there could be some things that could be done better uh and obviously like you know max johnson put into a tough situation with an offensive line and struggling as much as they are uh but i think he can do some things as far as release and, and releasing mm-hmm. the ball a little bit quicker uh, and again, I think we talked about it last week, this part of the reason that uh, Wegman won the starting job is because I think he was a little bit quicker on the release. Uh, and I think that's part of the struggle with Max Johnson, that quarterback. Uh, but yeah, I have a C plus. Uh, it's a it's passing grade, uh, you know, like a, like a 79, I think is is what I would rate it at out of 100. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't think that the quarterback position has been the overwhelming contributing factor to the losses, uh, like you said. Uh, I think there are other problem areas that are more significant than, uh, than the quarterback position. And I think part of it too, is, is also the expectation going into the season and and the injury to Wegman. Uh, I don't, I don't give them as much flack at quarterback as I do some other spots.
1: Yeah and I'm trying to I'm trying to include the Wegman performances of the first month of the season in here and not just look at what Max Johnson has done. I think you know like the last couple, like since Max Johnson's been in quarterback I think C plus C is is probably the right is probably the right answer. You know it's interesting I know we've talked about PFF and how it's not an exact science. Uh but two of the three highest graded offensive players for AM on the season are Connor Wegman number 1 Uh, at, uh, I had (laughs) 91.8, like BFF loved Wegman. Uh, and then Max Johnson is, is number three at 77.6. Like those are two of the three highest graded players, uh, on the field. And so to me, uh, the issues are about health at wide receiver offensive line stuff. That's kind of, you know, held back the, the passing game as much as the quarterback. But again, I'm, I'm not arguing that they've been great at that spot either. Let's go to running back. This feels like another spot. That's, that's a little bit difficult to grade. Um, 387 yards for Moss, uh, three touchdowns. He's averaging five yards a carry. Mari Daniels is at 287 yards with two touchdowns, 5.4 yards a carry. Then Owen, Ruben Owens, 130 yards, one touchdown, 3.5. I settled in on a B minus. Where did you kind of come out on this one?
0: Yeah. So I, I have it as a, as a B minus as well. Uh, my issue is like, I just think there needs to be more explosive plays from the running back position. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest criticism, but they haven't really been turning over the ball too much, uh, which I think is a positive. And, and I mean, it's hard because like, again, the offensive line feels like more of a problem in the running game than, than the running backs do. Uh, so, so it's difficult to really criticize the running backs too much when we haven't seen what they can do when, when an offensive line is is really generating push up front. Right. Uh I mean, Le'Veon Moss, I think, in his performance against Arkansas was was fantastic, uh, and, and having one of those performances like that, I mean, it, it can – I think it's boosted my estimation from, like, I probably would have had him at a C if, if Moss hadn't had that game against Arkansas.
1: Yeah, I just oh, – right or wrong, I've always been of the opinion that the run game is more of a function of your offensive line than your, than your running back. Give me a really good offensive line and an average running back over a really good running back and an average offensive line. So, for me, it's hard – Grade those guys, but I figured we would see more explosive explosion in open field, open space, uh, especially from Ruben Obens, uh, and he just hasn't been that kind of X factor uh, that can take this this group from a from a good group to a to a really good group. So I think C plus B minus in, in there is a pretty fair bet. Uh, skill I kind of combined wide receiver and tight ends into skill position. Um, I'm going with B plus I can understand an argument for higher. You know, they've been in my mind, obviously the best position unit, uh, on this offense. And I know we shouldn't knock them for being injured, but I think just the, the lack of, of health at that, in that group has, has kept them from along with, you know, the offensive line, not protecting the quarterback and having two different quarterbacks. They haven't put up the numbers I thought that they were going to put up. I'm not sure how much of that is in their control. So I landed at B plus.
0: Yeah, so I have an A here, and and it's because when they're giving them an opportunity to make plays, this unit does. That's fair. Uh yeah. And I, I think a lot of times, I mean, we've seen some incredible catches out of uh Evan Stewart this year. Uh obviously Noah Thomas has been banged up when he's healthy. He looks good. Uh nice Smith coming back has been huge for this team. I think he's a, a big leader on this offense. And really I I've been impressed with Jake Johnson at the tight end position as well. Uh I think he's been a pretty reliable target uh, as far as securing catches and and uh you know, providing an outlet for the quarterbacks. Uh, I think this group would be an A-plus if the quarterbacks had time to get rid of the ball uh, and really make plays downfield. Uh, but yeah, I have the the skill, wide receiver, tight end, hybrid group as as an A.
1: Yeah, I think you've talked me into it. I mean, they they are obviously the best unit on this field, and it does feel like anything we take away from them is out of their control, like whether it be nagging injuries. Like, I don't think Evan Stewart's been 100% in a month. You know, and he's still I mean, making plays. And he's still making plays. Noah Thomas has been in and out of the lineup, right? I mean, Anaya Smith has, has emerged the last month to be what we all knew Anaya Smith has been uh for the last years. And then Jake Johnson's emergent emergence has been unbelievable. You get Donathan Green back healthy next year, and you got both of those guys at the tight end position. <laughs> Two tight end sets are going to be yeah. fun to play around with Jimbo like. Fisher's gonna have his accordion playbook back out there, calling calling plays out there for those tight ends. That's kind of his his dream scenario, and so. Um, I think that, that position group is obviously really good. Obviously really talented. I just think with the, the quarterback play and then their nagging injuries, they haven't lived up to the expectations, but that doesn't seem to be in their control and their fault at all. Uh, offensive line, let's do it. Uh, this is like a Bart Simpson grade uh, situation uh, this... here. Uh, I just went out there and did it. I just put it down in F. I mean, they just haven't been very good. Yep. I went and looked at the, uh, PFF grades for all the, the five kind of most playing, uh, offensive lineman over the year, not just in one game, but over the year. Here we go. Uh, Cam er, Trey, Zun, Trey Zun uh leads the group uh, with sixty nine point six. He is the highest graded offensive lineman for so A&M that's like a D at sixty nine point <laughs> six. Right, can round du- it up to a C minus. <laughs> right, Cam Cam Dewberry sixty three point three. Layden Robinson sixty point nine. Mark Nabeau, uh, Naboo Naboo fifty six point one. Bryce Foster 54.1 Chase Pisantis 51.5
0: it's enough i mean uh and, and i think the most disappointing part of this is it doesn't seem like the unit has improved at all throughout the year or off of what was an abysmal performance last year uh that's the the big red flag here is that there's there's not been improvement so like even if you graded it on a curve right where all right this group wasn't good last year if if We see some improvement. We can give them credit for that. There hasn't been improvement, right? Like things have just been bad, Uh, and it's frustrating to see. Because I, I, again, I'm going to get into the same thing I said last week. There is talent here. I'm not convinced that like this group is untalented. I don't know if it's injuries. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know uh, if it's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. But obviously, it's not working, and and this group hasn't improved. Uh, So changes need to be made. It's. It's an F for me. Uh, I think indisputably
1: so. Can we have a Bryce Foster conversation? Um, first of all, how do you go from being the SEC freshman offensive lineman of of the year and look like a future NFL draft pick to a fifty four point one? That's that's my first question. Do you think that his uh, want and I and I applaud him for that. I love Bryce Foster by the way. I, all cards on the table. One of my favorite recruits that that I covered, just an incredible kid. When I got the beat to go on the soccer beat, he like sent me a congratulations for that. You know what I mean? Like He's just a good dude. So this isn't me burying Bryce Foster. Do you think his his want to be a, an Olympic thrower as well and to be on the track team and to not be there during the spring and to maybe not be at all the, the weight room stuff and the conditioning stuff and to not always be healthy, is that what is holding him back? Or is Bryce Foster the number one point two of going there is something broken at AM along the offensive line and with him with him not being an all-conference player that is proof positive that something has to change with the coaching staff yeah
0: i mean Both. i lean towards I, I lean towards the latter uh uh and that could be my i'm also very biased uh pro foster uh i think he's still an immensely talented individual uh and maybe there is something to the fact that he's uh still focused a lot on track and and, and being successful and, and being Olympian.
1: And the uh, reason I ask you this is because you missed a lot of springs. Yeah. And so like, it how did. do you, how do you, I never went
0: through a spring <laughs> right. at A&M.
1: And so like, how hard is that to take those jumps when you're missing out on, I mean, I would think a thousand reps every single spring. I mean, you compound that over a couple of years and the guy next to you has had 3000 more snaps than you have in practice. Like I, I would imagine that's some of this as well.
0: Yeah, it can definitely play a role. And I think, uh, he's been really banged up too. He hasn't right. been healthy. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I don't know that him competing in in track and field is, is as much of a factor as, as the entries are. Uh, and there's also like last year, uh, he had trouble with snaps cause Adazio wanted him to change his, his snapping style. There was an issue with that, that has played a factor. And that's kind of why I, I lean towards more of the coaching aspect, uh, I just man, I, I don't I'm I'm like you were it's hard to to justify going from an SEC uh freshman or uh, an all SEC freshman to uh having a failing grade uh as an offensive lineman. And again, we don't know what all goes on beyond the behind the scenes and, and what could be playing a role in this, but I I really think it's it's more of a coaching issue uh than an issue with the athlete because I mean <sighs> Yes, like missing some of those snaps could be a fact, but I've seen guys that didn't play in spring still have uh, excellent, excellent uh, careers in in football without practicing in spring because of injuries or or playing another sport. Uh, and obviously some of that is those guys are just uber talented, right? Uh, and and we're able to to manage both. Like I mean, I've, we've seen guys play baseball and, and football and, and be successful in both. Uh, but. Yeah. I just – I'm still of the opinion that Bryce Foster is talented enough that a prop – a coach that fits better would would get more
1: success out of him. To me, Cam Dewberry is the biggest alarming one to me. And this is me holding on to my recruiting opinion about Cam Dewberry. Cam Dewberry was starting at left tackle for Atascacita, while Kenyon Green was on the right side because that's how – good they thought cam dewberry was right like he was the blind side left tackle for a team with multiple uh fbs offensive line as a true right you guess you can't redshirt in high school as a as a freshman uh in high school uh he he's at 63.3 and just looks like a shell of himself just he looks the exact same as when he got to campus
0: well here here's the issue i think dewberry and naboo both looked better last year as well so it's not like right. foster's the only one and then Ruben Fathery. Uh, is another guy where he looked good as a freshman. Obviously, there were some some holes that he needed to fill, but it, it seemed like he regressed. And if you're not de- developing the guys, I mean, that's, again, all, all of these offensive lines. I'm not convinced because it seems like they've taken a step back on campus, and and I don't think that's indicative of a problem with the athletes. I think that's indicative of a problem with coaching.
1: Yeah, it's the George Bush thing, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, you're not going to fool me again. Uh, (laughs) you know, like if one or two of these guys were taking a step back, maybe that's about them and their work ethic and their care about football or all that stuff. When it's the whole unit, um, and and Lyndon Robinson
0: too. I mean, Lyndon Robinson looked like he was going to be a draft, uh, prospect. Uh, and now it's like, you know, he, he's probably going to end up an undrafted free agent. And I, I I do think that's indicative of coaching because I think there is talent there.
1: This leads me to a broader point that I'd like to make with you and maybe I'm I'm an idiot so you can tell me that I won't take offense to it. Uh but I think a lot of times we see these athletes as they're going to develop into whatever they're going to develop no matter what. You know when we start calling guys busts either in the NFL or in college because they don't develop into what we think that they're going to do and we blame we blame the guy like oh he wasn't good enough in high school or you know he was overrated he was never a five star four star guy. I point to this stuff as like the coaching matters so much, right? Like if, if like, it doesn't, it's not all in a vacuum. This isn't a video game. And so when you get there as a five-star, you know, left tackle, right? Coming out of high school, you can be developed into what you can possibly be and become a first round draft pick, or you can be developed into a guy who looks like a bust when really it was just who you were surrounded with. Uh, And it's just amazing. It's like the Jeff Fisher thing. It's like how many of the quarterbacks that Jeff Fisher had just sucked and were bust or how much of that was just like Jeff Fisher sucked and he turned them into bust. It looks like a lot of guys that aren't living up to their recruiting hype that may be quote unquote called bust on the outside. But from the inside, it absolutely looks more of a development issue than, Hey, maybe those guys weren't as good as we thought they were coming out of high school.
0: Yeah. And it's like, it's like any scientific experiment, right? You have your control group and you have all these extemporaneous factors that that can play a role in, in changing the dynamic of a, of a development. And it just feels like this is not an environment that's conducive to producing uh, better offensive linemen. I mean, uh, obviously, Kenyon Green was probably the last true draft prospect from this offensive line, and Texas a m is is a is a place that has a history of putting out. That's what offensive they did. Uh, I mean, Jake Matthews and Luke Jokel and Cedric Apehi and German Jermaine Effetti. I mean, these are all guys that got drafted in the first round. Uh, of the NFL draft. And it just seems like there's been a real fall off and uh it's been even steeper uh since Adazio stepped in and and I I just and I feel like I'm sound like I'm bagging on Adazio pretty hard here. Uh maybe it's just a fit with this offense where it doesn't work, uh where he has a different kind of style of coaching. I don't know what all the issues are, but uh I think it's pretty clear clear that this unit has regressed and uh, a big part of that is coaching.
1: Uh, He's a big boy. He gets paid a lot of money. You know, it comes with the job. Right. And so um, yeah, offensive line, not good. Both give them an F Um, that feels like, because A&M is right there with all these teams. You know, I I think there's an easy argument to be made that with a better offensive line, they beat Alabama with a better offensive line. They beat Tennessee. You know, maybe the Miami game wasn't completely on the offensive line, Uh, but even in that game, right? Like Wegmans getting, you know, brutalized in the pocket. Um, And so, yeah, just not good uh, to catch up with Alabama, to catch up with Georgia, to be in the conversations for the college football playoff and win SEC championships, it starts up front. And they have figured out defensive line, as we're about to talk about, and as the offensive line has slid into the ocean. And so uh, that's something that has to change, no doubt. Uh, Let's go to the defensive side of the ball, a little bit uh, better conversation, a little bit more pleasant conversation, at least for these first two position units. Defensive line, uh, I gave an A. Uh, I'd still like to see an edge rusher. I think an a plus for me would have been if, you know, Fidel Diggs had seven sacks or if, you know somebody had really become uh, the dominant edge rusher off off, you know, it feels like Edron Cooper from from the linebacker position has has really become that. So I'm gonna give an A. Walter nolan has been excellent. McKinley Jackson, all those guys, schmar Turner, all the all the, all those players have been really good. Uh, been a really good unit. I will say this before I let you talk. Uh, I was surprised when I was looking up this. AM ranks higher in pass defense than they do in rush defense, yards per game. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think this last contest
0: probably had a lot to do with it against Tennessee, but yeah, that's probably
1: uh, true. Uh, New Mexico
0: as well. Yeah, and it's I I I have this group written down as an A as well. Uh I just think the defensive line is it's what, what we talk about, especially with the offensive line, right? Where you're kind of grading on a curve. You take the last year's performance and you say, well, is there improvement? Do they get credit for that? And there's been night and day improvement here. Uh, no doubt. And I, I I do think part of the reason everyone was so disappointed uh, last year and, and maybe were surprised is that AM was replacing three starters along the defensive line, right? Like there was always going to be a step back, and I think people took it for granted just because of how highly ranked the recruiting group was coming in. Uh, but now you're seeing the fruits of that, and – Guys like Shamar Turner, who have gotten more playing time uh, and, and developed more, and then McKinley Jackson, who still feels like a leader of this group and kind of the heart and soul of it, and then Walter Nolan, who uh, is just an incredible athlete. I mean, that dude's, that dude's a freak. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's uh, a unicorn. This is, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's doing what we expected, and I mean, and now you're seeing guys like DJ Hicks get involved a little bit more, too, uh, which I think is, is, is a good sign going forward, because uh, keeping him around like him and him and Walter Nolan together too is going to be <laughs> stupid. I'm just thinking about the development going forward, and that yeah. even to the line is going to be great. But uh, I agree with you where having a true edge rusher, uh, you know, like a, a guy that that is really somebody that offenses have to hone in on a game plan for. Uh, like for an example, when, when Miles was at yeah, you have teams that are obviously game planning to stop him, having that kind of weapon uh on, on your on your defensive line as an edge rusher is is the extra step that would have taken this to an A plus. Uh because if you get that edge rusher and all of a sudden people people have to game plan for them, uh can you imagine like how much of a problem it would be trying to keep the interior blocked too. Yeah. I mean that yeah. that is just
1: yeah, if you have to double on the edge or have a running back or tight end staying on the edge and all of a sudden Walter Dolan's one on one with a guard like it's you might as well just call the game or something like that. I mean, the, the dude's a freak. Walter Nolan's an absolute freak. You're you're right. I mean, as a recruiting kind of dork like I am, like the idea of a Walter Nolan, DJ Hicks kind of interior rush group. I don't even want to describe what it does to me. It's, uh, it's a pretty, inc- pretty incredible thing. I think, I, I think thing. Brett
0: Belima said it
1: best in a uh, post-game yeah. press conference one that's, time. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Texas A&M tied for second in the nation with sacks at 29, tied for second in the nation in tackles for loss for 65. It, I mean, after the first couple of weeks of the season when we were all murdering Durkin, uh, I think it's fair to give him his props, give them their flowers. They have really figured it out at least in the front seven, they have absolutely figured out, they've gotten more aggressive. They've leaned into their talent. They let the dogs go hunt. And sometimes you just got to let it go. And that's exactly what they do. I think he may have listened to our Aggie Warpod after the Miami game, where it was just like, <laughs> you're going to get beat over the top anyway, right? Like go, go get that mother, you know, like just go yeah. get that guy. Uh, and they've done that. They've done it as good as anybody in the country since then. The only team that uh, ranks above them is James Madison. So they're, they're first in power five in both of those, those uh, categories.
0: Which is massive, and uh, and it's a huge step forward from. What AM struggled with last year. Like AM needed more negative plays and they've they've stepped up and made that difference. And uh it's been great to see. And I think that's why we have such a, a positive ranking for the defensive line. Uh and are we ready to go into the next group with the linebackers?
1: Yeah, they well, just first off, they have AM has 10 more sacks now than they did all of last year, and uh they've played seven games. So uh, yeah. that, that's where we're at. Linebacker A plus best unit on the football team. Edger and Cooper is the best defensive player in the state of Texas, maybe in the SEC. Torian York, the best true freshman maybe in the country i have no idea who's better than him i don't i don't watch enough national football on a week-to-week basis to make that claim probably uh but just that group has been excellent uh cooper 45 tackles 13 and a half for loss and six sacks like what the hell is that that's like that's like playing madden creative player stuff tory and york uh not even six months removed from being at temple high school i guess he enrolled early so not even 12 months removed from being at temple high school, 41 tackles, five tackles for loss one sack. He's so good. He's not even a talking point. Like we don't, yeah. you know, like, like nobody even has to talk about, Hey, there's a true freshman there at the second level for a and M. Uh, he looks like a three-year starter already. Just an incredible, incredible performance by those two guys so far this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cooper and York and, and, you know, obviously like maybe part of this is. York becoming a, uh, being a true freshman stepping up, but, when, when Chris Russell's in there, he's also been a factor. Yeah, he's, yeah, been rugged. Uh, so I I agree with you. This is a plus. I mean, again, Ed Trin Cooper may be the best player in in the SEC uh, defensively, and I realize that's like it sounds like a lot to say, but when you look at the statistics and you look at what he's done and and how much of a factor he is, thirty eight sack yard. Like, I mean, that is that's insane. impressive. He's a linebacker. Uh, it, it's I mean all the credit in the world uh to to those guys and obviously a big part of that too is they've been able to stay healthy for the most part you got to knock on wood for that one but uh man it's been it's been a lot of fun to see torian york come in and and be a factor right away and and he's just he plays so disciplined too Mm. and that's the thing that's been so impressive for me as a true freshman is he seems to always be in the right spot he doesn't seem to be making mistakes when he when he you know, meets the running back or, or a wide receiver. He gets him on the ground, and he's just not somebody that's talked about a lot because he doesn't make mistakes. Uh, and, and because Edrick Cooper's been so good uh, as far as creating negative plays, that you know you don't hear Torian's name mentioned maybe as much. But that
1: is a big compliment
0: to how good he's been.
1: Yeah, it's like when you never hear about the left tackle. You know, like something something's going really well. Like last year for for UT, you never heard anybody talk about Kelvin Banks that much, even though he was a true freshman starting at left tackle. And it's like that's the biggest compliment you can think about Kelvin Banks. You just never hear his name during a broadcast, even though he was playing against Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson and stuff. It feels the same for Torian York. You know, you don't you don't hear about him making those freshman mistakes because he's always in a in a really good spot, highly graded on, on PFF. Edran Cooper may hit a triple crown here at least in the state of Texas, in terms of leading the state in tackles, tackles for loss and sacks. He was at the midway point when I put together the the midseason all-Texas team. Um, The only guy that was ahead of him in tackles was Tyrese Knight. Knight had played one extra game because UTEP started in week zero. And so uh, he's been unbelievable uh, at at linebacker. Let's move to defensive back here to close out this position grade, unit, which I think has been a a really good conversation. It's kind of covered kind of like how we feel about this whole Texas A&M football team. Maybe this isn't fair, Jay. Maybe the bad is sticking out in my head more than than any of the good. But I, I put down a C. I, I think that that unit has been the the weak spot of this defense for sure. Um, and I'm curious to to see how you kind of look at what the defensive back group has been so far. It almost feels like it should be separated into kind of corners and safeties because I think you know Bryce Anderson, Damani Richardson have, have been really good, but uh, the play at corner has really stood out to me, especially in that Alabama game.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I have this a C minus for this group just because of, uh, the yards they've given up. And there've been a couple of times where the safety's bid and, and got beat over the top as well. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm okay with giving it a C minus, but you know, they've also made their share of plays. There've been some times where, uh, they get a deflection or, or a pass breakup and, uh, keeping a minute, uh, it's not bad enough to where it's a failing grade, but if you had to zone in on, on a piece of this defense that has negatively impacted AM, it, it's obviously the the secondary. And I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Uh, and so I have it as a C minus, but uh, they've done enough, right? Like it's, they've done enough to pass, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: but just barely. And uh, honestly though, I think this group has improved, uh, which is something that you can't say about the offensive line. Who's the, been the other really big negative, uh, it, it feels like the defensive back's have improved the season went on.
1: Yeah, and uh and wins AM is allowing 103.5 yards passing per game and losses that grows to 265 and that's with the uh, 115 yards or whatever it was that that Milton had in the win against, against Aggies in, in week 7. So, um, kind of been the the spot to get, if you're going to get AM's defense is going to be on the back end. I wonder how much the play of the front seven is kind of masked some of that at times right where it's helped them look uh not even worth like you know maybe without that kind of pass rush we'd be looking at this defensive back group the same way we are looking at the offensive line group but uh they get a lot of help now it's complimentary football that's why there's 11 guys out on the field there um so yeah i thought that was that's uh i think we were pretty pretty close uh to to, to each other there on on that one um let's move to third down you ready to talk south carolina
0: let's talk south carolina
1: All right. The Aggies. Let me, I just had it pulled up and then my screen went blank there. The Aggies week nine. God dang. We're already in week nine, 11 AM on ESPN, Texas A&M at four and three hosts, South Carolina at two and five Texas A&M 14 point favorites early on in this one, Jay, kind of what are your initial thoughts on the Gamecocks?
0: Uh, this is a team that is really struggling with their identity. Uh, South Carolina has two wins this year, one against Furman FCS, a very good FCS team, by the way, shout out to the Paladins, Uh, but that's one of their wins. And then uh, you also have a win against Mississippi state at home. Uh, Everything else, like you look at it and, and and obviously Missouri is, is a very improved team this year, Uh, but, but you have a blowout at Mizzou, you lose to Florida Uh, defensively. It seems like you're really struggling to stop anybody. Uh, And you know, this could be really good for AM's offense to maybe get some confidence back, uh, as far as, as an opponent coming out of the bye week. Uh, but there are some weapons there for South Carolina, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Xavier Laguette is, is, he's a, a fun player to watch. Uh, honestly, kind of reminds me a little bit of Depot Samuel, where he's a, a really powerful runner after the catch, uh, and they want to get him the ball as many ways as they can. Uh, uh, just talking about a, another South Carolina comparison. Uh so it's it's an interesting opponent, right? Like I don't I think this one could be closer than the line suggests. Vegas has it at, I think it opened up at 14, now it's up to 14 and a half. Uh I think this game could be a little bit more nerve wracking than expected, but I, I think this is also a game that is uh very, very winnable for AM. Uh on paper, I think, you know. Rattler is going to have some issues dealing with the pressure of this defensive line, and, and that could lead to some mistakes. But by the same token, uh, if Leggett if gets free in the secondary, that is going to be a big issue for AM.
1: I mean, ain't a better win this one. Uh, if, if they don't, we're all probably writing some stories late at night on Saturday that, that are a little different or whatever. So uh, this feels like the, the appropriate medicine for AM, especially offensively South Carolina isn't a team that should on paper threaten this offensive line too much they don't have Elite pass rushers they're not tremendous in the secondary there should be some some talent advantages when Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart and I would hope a healthier Noah Thomas are out there running the routes they've given up 30 plus 30 at least 30 points to uh five of their six FBS opponents um you know the only one that they held under 30 is Georgia
0: yeah which is
1: it, it, Georgia
0: felt like they sleptwalk through the first half of the season, and all of a sudden woke up against Kentucky, poor Kentucky. Right. Uh, but now it, it just defensively, it just feels like there are too many gaps for this Gamecock defense to to really keep them in games
1: against a team that can slow them down offensively, which is what you saw against Mizzou. And to me, that makes the magic number 30. If A&M's offense can get to 30 or even aided with a punt return touchdown or a defensive touchdown, as we've seen, if the Aggies can get to 30 points by hell or high water, I just don't see South Carolina being able to match that.
0: Yeah, and you look at it, and obviously this being a home game is big for A&M as well. Uh, I think they want to get revenge for last year because this is a game where you spot South Carolina, two touchdowns within the first few minutes of the game. Uh, it was kind of a weird start, right, where uh, uh, I think there was a special teams touchdown and, and something else that happened in there. I don't remember exactly, but I remember South Carolina got off to uh, a big lead and they just kind of coasted from there. Uh and will want to get revenge for that one. And uh, it, it's look again, AM should win this game. If they don't, we're going to be having some some conversations Uh obviously 11am kicks are never fun uh, as far as from a crowd standpoint uh great for us whenever we're trying to get home in a hurry but yeah uh, i'll be interested to see what the crowd looks like honestly that's Saturday. what i was
1: going to ask you next what do you think the not only what does the crowd look like what is it What does it feel like yeah
0: so i one of the things that i use to track this uh and this is kind of a, a weird way to do it is espn thankfully on their site has uh, this little thing where they're linked to a ticket site, and you can see what the cheapest tickets are. Mm-hmm. So for this game, uh, you look at it, and tickets are as low as thirty-three dollars, which uh is, is pretty low for what what Texas A&M normally goes for. I think when I was looking at it for the Bama game, it was like one ninety, uh, was what you had right there. Uh, so let's say like a comparable opponent late in the season. Uh you look at like the Abilene Christian game tickets are as low as, as $45. So right now for the South Carolina game, tickets are cheaper than they are for the uh for the South Carolina game than they are for the Abilene Christian game. Uh which I think is kind of indicative of where the faith A&M has in this team is right now.
1: Do you, is I haven't been I mean I've been to like 10 A&M games but I'm obviously not I'm not a lifer. I haven't been to enough to know this question. Can the Aggie fan base get a little adversarial within the, within the stadium, or is it always pretty positive towards the football team in these moments? Cause the reason I asked that question is if it's the third quarter and it's 17, 17, or for some reason, South Carolina is ahead in this football game. Do you think it becomes kind of one of those moments where you get, to, you're there to air your grievances vocally. So everybody can hear them from the president on down.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's not really a, a festivist environment where they're uh, airing the grievances. Uh AM in particular, I think, is really good about not booing their own team. Uh, where you would see that from other schools sometimes. And I think it's a valid way to express your displeasure. Uh I don't see that happening from AM. If it does happen, it would be a very big surprise to me and a very big red flag. Uh I think you'd also see a lot of threads online on the message boards talking about how all these kids with their, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z guys
1: are, right. are, are not respecting the game. Uh, that's another rant. That's another rant. <laughs> there's no more millennials in college folks. Like the youngest millennials have like mortgages and are 27 or like trying to figure out how to afford yeah. their children and shit like that. Like there's not millennials are no longer 17. It is not a code word <laughs> for young people. Uh, this is a completely new generation. It, it it drives me batshit crazy. Dan Walken, I don't, know, I forget where Walken works these days. Uh, he's moved around quite a bit, but he put out a tweet like uh, when USC lost, is like they finally turned over a program to only millennials, and we've seen how this runs or whatever. It's like Dan Lanning's the same age as Lincoln Riley, and they couldn't be further uh, apart from each other. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I've always looked at booing as like you're not booing the player, you're booing the performance, and most of the time you're booing the administration and the coach, and so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think we'll even have to worry about this because I think I think A&M's gonna roll past South Carolina. You have an idea, a score, score thought here? Uh I think like a
0: 31 to, to 17 type score is, is what I'm looking at here. Because I, I do think that South Carolina probably gets a couple of big plays. Uh I just don't think I think defensively their struggles are so much that uh they're gonna have trouble containing AM. The thing I worry about is a&M jumping out to a big lead, uh, and then making this game closer in the second half because they failed to adjust again. I think yeah. that's what you can't look at there. Uh, if AM can kind of pull away in the second half, and that's another thing that we've talked about is second half adjustments. Uh well, you look at it, and in the second half of games this year, AM has really struggled. Uh we'll see if the bye week's kind of like the second half, of, or the idle week's kind of like the second half of the season. Uh, we'll see if they make the adjustments uh, to to do better there, and and see if maybe we can get some second and half adjustments and at least over the
1: season. What adjustments can you even make when your offensive line stinks? I guess that's uh, where I'm at with this thing, right? Is quick like slants, a lot like of quick slants. You come out with your game plan and you try to mask this stuff with your script and what you do in the first half, and then the other team gets to go into the locker room and goes, "Guys, they can't do X, Y, and Z," and then there's like no third pitch for a and m, you know, like. They're just they're just a relief pitcher out there. And the reason the relief pitcher with his two pitches can't throw for seven innings is because once you see it a few times through the lineup, you're gonna murder it, right? Like you got to have four or five pitches to get through a lineup a few times. It feels like the Aggies only have one or two pitches. And by the time the defense has seen it through two quarters, Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher are just looking at each other going, like, that's all we got. We can just cycle through this thing again. Uh, but we don't we can't run any of the other other stuff because it can't block it. Um so yeah, I, I, I wrote down uh, Texas A&M 34, South Carolina 20. That That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with this one. I think South Carolina scores some points. Uh, is it, Do you consider this one a rivalry? I just, you know, just for being an outsider online, it, feel, it from an outsider online, it does feel like there is like a unique amount of banter between South Carolina and A&M fans that like maybe doesn't exist with Mississippi State or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's just uh, uh, anecdotal on my part. No, nah, I think
0: it. I think all the banners tongue in cheek because okay. we kind of got like jammed together as permanent opponents. No, nah, uh, okay, all right. And it, it's more like, I mean, sure, we'll, we're we're rivals now. Uh, more more of that than than really a, a true uh, hatred. I mean, again, I don't think either team is going to particularly care when this game goes away. And and maybe South Carolina got a little bit excited last year just because it was the first time they had won this game since the uh, permanent uh divisional rivalry thing happened uh but i i don't think either team particularly cares much other yeah. than winning an sec game
1: yeah i just i just see it sometimes and i'm like what is going on here why the hell but that <laughs> ma- that makes more sense that that makes more sense yeah definitely more of a tongue in cheek rivalry All right, let's move to fourth down before we get out of here. Kind of the Ask Jay segment. Uh, remember to put some, you know, anytime throughout the week, you send Jay a question you want to, stay, to answer on the podcast. Just go ahead and hashtag Ask Jay with it, and we'll we'll log it away and use it that next week. Um, you went to South Dakota for what was what looked like to be one of the more unique experiences in college football. Maybe just walk readers through kind of what your three- or four-day trip looked like.
0: Yeah, so uh, I started off and, and made the uh, easy part of the journey to, to kick off the trip, the Sanjay away trip. Uh, I went from Houston to Rockwall, <laughs> which is a, a drive up 45. That's pretty easy. My folks still live in Rockwall, so I wanted to make it uh, a short stop. From there, it was Rockwall to North Platte, Nebraska,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: which there is not much when you go straight up 35 uh, all the way through Oklahoma, all the way through Kansas uh and then cut west across 80 and there's there's just a whole lot of nothing uh and i mean i i tried runza which i guess is the local nebraska fast food chain which was fine i didn't i didn't get mad at that <laughs> uh i mean it's meat and bread is the runza sandwiches so I, I i'm not mad at it at all uh from nebraska is where the thing really kind of became a more interesting journey uh, drove from North Platte and headed Northwest to the Black Hills region of South Dakota, which I think is one of the most underrated parts of the country. No uh, doubt. I mean, this is hard to get there. Absolutely gorgeous. But like you said, hard to get there. Uh, I went to Wind cave national park. I only hit my head in the cave once uh, that kind of stung. I think I was playing like going through concussion protocol uh, for the rest of the week, but that's okay. Uh, I drove through Custer state park, uh, and that's like really the heart of the Black Hills country. Uh, cause you get, I mean, you get up to elevation. I actually saw some snowpack on the ground, uh, wow. certain parts up there. Uh, I mean, it was like 65 when I was up there, but apparently they had gotten some snow the week before or earlier in the week and, uh, it was still packed there on the ground. So I was like, I, I guess I timed this right. And, uh, they actually like, they told me like this is the end of their season, like they close up, uh, yeah. after Can't October 21st. So, Uh, I was like, well, that worked out. Uh, And then I get to go to Rapid City and experience South Dakota's Cold of Mines, uh, Division II Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference. And I had an incredible time up there. I mean, the people were fantastic. And if you haven't seen the stadium, it is one of one. I think it's the only place with the multi-tiered parking ramps on on one side of the stadium where you can uh, basically tailgate at the game. And that's what we did. Because we tailgated at the game i had the single best smash burger that i've ever had at a football game uh, right off the right off the black top griddle uh i mean it, that thing was delicious uh funnily enough they had like the waterburger patty melt sauce up there so i got <laughs> to put that on my burger that's for you yeah there yeah. you go i don't know if they knew i was coming or what but i mean that was fantastic the coaching staff was was awesome uh you know i was talking about this so they played uh, Colorado School of mine last week and on the way back their bus caught fire. So they had to practice all week with that equipment. And the equipment didn't get in there until Friday. So then they they do a little bit more in the in the walkthrough than they normally do. Uh because you you hadn't practicing pads all week. You want to put half shells on and thump a little bit. Uh but man, for those kids to kind of like go through all that and, and still put on a great performance, they won 48 to 10, uh just dominated that game. Uh it was fantastic. And then, I mean, I talk about how college football is all about the unique places that you get to see and and really experiencing it with fans and, and learning about the unique traditions and everything. South Dakota School of the Mines was every bit as fun as like going to the whiteout earlier this year or going to Nealon Stadium because it was such a unique experience. And I mean tailgating at the game is something that you can't really get anywhere else you have like fraternities pull up in these old school buses they're parked up there with like huge train horns on it honking whenever uh it's third down uh i mean it's just it is such a cool experience all the people were fantastic uh and it's it's fun football too uh the rocky mountain athletic conference i mean caro school of the Mines is one of the top d2 schools in the nation uh, and, and South Dakota Mines is, is pretty competitive with them as well. Uh, and so it, it's, it's fun football to watch and man, I mean, I can't describe how cool the sensation of is just pulling up in your car, sitting on this Hill. You have the the Hills in the background and, and you're just watching college football from your car. Uh, and the other part of it too, is you can pull up a TV and, and watch uh, other games around the country while you're watching the football right in front of you. Which makes it just a fantastic experience. Again, like I think everyone needs to go up there to Rapid City and experience this out to coast school of the minds game at least once.
1: I am with you in that we kind of get stuck sometimes as college football fans and and media and onlookers of just talking about the same 10 teams. And those those experiences are great. Like going to Nealon Stadium is awesome. Going to Kyle Field is awesome. Going to the Whiteout, awesome. Big house, awesome. There is something to be said though. About the rest of on split zone duo duo, uh, they talk a lot about eating the whole hog, right, of college football, and and that's exactly right. Like there is a little bit of every for everybody, and there's so much cool traditions and uniqueness below that first 50, you know, and even even in the next levels, like that's a D2 football game. Uh, our colleague Corey Hogue uh, at, at Dave Campbell's wrote a story about the the purple poo. Uh, organization at like Tarleton that like is a secret kind of student organization that you know doesn't get (laughs) revealed until the end and they wear like These weird purple Halloween type costumes to all the games, you know, and like there's just every school's got a little bit of that. That is what I love about college football. If it was just about the football and the execution, I just go watch the NFL like I would just go watch the best players do the best stuff. But I love high school football because of the pageantry and the community. And I love college football because of the tradition and just kind of the uniqueness of what matters to each individual school and every region takes it into a different level. You know, it's not better or worse. It's just different in the way that they celebrate and kind of worship college football. And so that's cool that you were able to not only go and experience that, but also kind of come away with it. it Whereas like, I mean, this is, this is different, but just as cool as watching 108,000 people scream at Kyle field.
0: Yeah. and, And honestly, like that's a place I want to get back to, uh, they have a rivalry with like a team down the road, Black Hill State, and it's they've played each other 148 times. Right. I mean, and That's beautiful. Uh,
1: that's absolutely beautiful.
0: That's what that's what makes college football special is those regional rivalries like that. And like people want to say that it's dead at the at the FBS D1 level. That's it's not dead because you can still find it at any tailgate you go to where people are still just as passionate and, and have value for the traditions. Uh but it does feel like it's kind of more concentrated at the lower divisions. And I, I think Every person that was at that game on Saturday was just so into it. Uh, And and you could feel how much they cared about not just the school, but the community as a whole. And and, uh, I mean, it it was great getting to talk to the coaches there at South Dakota Mines about it and and coach T and everybody that welcomed me in there uh, and kind of gave me like the, the background information on what was going down and just being around those people and seeing how much they cared about uh, that program was, was, just a lot of fun for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a cool trip, man. I'm glad you got to go do that. That, that one, I uh, I was in the the Franklin Mountains there in El Paso, uh, watching another regional rivalry game play. It's a hundredth uh, rendition of Battle of I-10. That thing is so old that it predates I-10. Right, like. Uh, I-10 didn't connect those two cities until like 1969. They played their first game in 1914. So they kind of came up with a new name after the game. Jerry kills walking around with what they call the brass sp- spittoon, right? Where they just like, you know, and like there's a silver spade. So like the trophies of yeah, that one, two is, trophies for that. Yeah. One. The I two trophies it. for that one is, is one is like a, <laughs> a spade you would find in a mining thing, and then like something you would spit dip into, uh, which I think, It's just absolutely tremendous. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about maybe the biggest story in college football right now. One that makes me laugh uh, heartily, uh, the sign stealing stuff in Michigan. Where do you, where do you kind of stand on this whole dilemma that by the way would be solved. If we just put an effing microphone into the quarterback's helmets, uh, because it's 2023, this sport makes a billion dollars and I'm sure they could figure out a way to do it.
0: So there's two things on this. Uh, First of all, I don't really care too much about cheating uh especially in in this vein where you know it's like i mean people it's not going to make that much of a difference in my mind like you're already stealing signals from tv broadcasts that you're going to have or other film that you have that that's provided to you it's not a huge deal to me uh the second side of this I love so much that it's Michigan getting in trouble for cheating because of all the online stuff from Michigan fans talking about the moral high ground and how we do things the right way unlike Ohio State and those schools in the south uh and all of a sudden your moral high ground is it's yeah. gone it's yeah. it's over uh that's the only reason that I care about the cheating is just because of who it is. Cause I, I really don't consider it cheating that much to begin with. Uh, it's just funny that it happens to a program that, that has touted the, the moral high ground for so long.
1: Yeah. And just like they, you know, they're, you know, Jim Harbaugh suspended for the first three games or four games of the regular season for like, you know, cafeteria, hamburger, hot dog type stuff. <laughs> and now they're like stealing signs to get an advantage over Rutgers and Indiana, you know, and you're just like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, I don't know. He wants to be in the NFL so bad. I've always thought it was funny. I remember learning because I remember back in the day when you'd see those like people have those big kind of sheets to cover. They'll go stand on the the uh, field and try to cover their coaches signs and stuff. I always thought that was to to block the, the guys in the booth or the other sideline. It's to block the all 22 film. Um, so they don't have to like change it week to week when other teams are watching their film and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's just more so, convenience than anything. It's just so funny that we have like, I don't know, it's it's the same thing of us having a billion-dollar sport that's measured by two old guys holding a stick connected by you know paper clips or whatever. Um the fact that in the NFL, I mean, you don't have to have signs. Because there's a camera and I, I understand or a microphone. And I understand you can't do it at the d three level or whatever., uh, but there's no reason the big Ten doesn't have microphones in every single helmet. like it, or every single quarterback's helmet. like it is is not that hard. Uh, we make things harder than it has to be. And I'm with you. I don't see it as that big of a cheat because most of these coaches, by the time the 15 seconds is left on the play clock, they know what the other team's about to run. It's getting your players on the field in that moment to know what they're, what they're going to run yep. is, is the issue or whatever. And you don't have enough time to do that anyway. Um, we talked about it a little bit in uh, first down or as we were, or maybe it was the second. I can't remember at this point. We talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, but the state of Texas has been embroiled in a civil war. Uh, between the team in Arlington and the team in Houston, um, it ended last night, I hear, uh, with the Rangers coming out victorious in Game 7. Not a single home win. Uh, no no home team won in the series. I thought that was pretty funny. Ted Cruz, 0-5, going to Houston Astros playoff <laughs> games this year. That was also pretty hilarious um what where you, are you a, are you not a big baseball guy are you are you a baseball dude or I,
0: i'm a cubs fan so i got to just okay. sit back so and not enjoy so this. not really
1: yeah it's so not uh, not really you know not since I 2016 mean, yeah yeah that one year that was cool
0: <laughs> now the uh the lovable losers uh again i have picked and aligned sports teams that have put me through the hardest battles that i could possibly face
1: where's the chicago fandom come from because you said blackhawks earlier as well yeah
0: uh not really logical i've just always okay. been a Chicago I sports fan. i didn't know if your uh,
1: granddad was like uh from chicago or something you know yeah.
0: no i mean there was just like a lot of cubs fans growing up and and i just kind of like enjoyed chicago i like that deep dish pizza was different from yeah. uh the new york style because tremendous could, casserole yeah i mean call it whatever you want it's, yeah, it's tremendous
1: it's tremendous yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, i'm always curious with people's like fandoms and how they build them yeah you know because i'm pretty basic like mine are pretty obvious like all of mine are in the state of Texas, outside of Liverpool. And I picked them because I like the color red and they're owned by an American, you know, like it was, it was pretty simple for me. Uh, It was the, you know, where the Beatles are from, you know, like that, that, that's all it took for me, but all my favorite professional and college sports franchises I grew up around, right? Like I was an Oilers fan Uh, Spurs. When I went to UTSA, I kind of became a bigger NBA fan. So I'm always interested in kind of how people uh, pick their fandom as somebody who Uh, Was born and raised in Dallas and now lives in Houston and went to college, went to the school in College Station, which is basically growing into a suburb of Houston with how big that that city has gotten. Uh, I went there this weekend to go to the Houston game and you're like in the city when you get to Waller, you know, like it just connects all the way to Waller these days. Um, where, who were you rooting for? Did you have a dog in the fight? Were you just rooting for it? I was just rooting for it to go as long as possible and to be as stressful as possible. So everybody who was pretending like they really cared who I never see tweet about baseball could pretend like this was some kind of big thing.
0: Oh, I loved it. That's that's what I was just rooting for the toxicity of it. Yeah, uh, Cause 100%. I got to see, you know, especially growing up in DFW and then moving to Houston. I have a lot of friends from both places and, and college station tends to be like a mismatch, a uh, mishmash of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love seeing people be so negative to each other. Obviously, there's some people that take it too far, but like people that are normally cordial with each other, like getting mad (laughs) was hilarious to see. I I love that. Uh, You know, it's funny talking about developing fandoms like I always get weird questions about Chicago uh, being the the sports town that I support and then also uh, being a Chargers fan that one's a little bit easier to explain uh is is going and seeing what thompson who's at tcu Mm. and then kind of just following it from there uh but yeah i mean being able to sit back and see people stress out over this and and not have a dog in the fight other than like yeah i mean this is uh postseason sports it's it's just kind of fun to enjoy uh that was that was a nice experience because normally my uh my sports viewing that I've placed myself into is full of stress.
1: I'm skewed here. I am not your stereotypical sports fan one, because I don't feel things on a level that a lot of people do. (laughs) Like I don't get excited about my regular life as, as much as a lot of people do. Like, I'm just not that I'm a lot like Larry David. I'm really am a lot like a young Larry David where I just don't get that excited (laughs) about anything. Like I enjoy things, but like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I always find it funny when people lose their minds over this stuff because like, I mean, come on, dude, it's just like a sports that you don't know any of these people. Like, what do you do? And like, what really cracked me up about this is it became a culture war situation where I don't know if people notice this, but like on social media, a lot of times, like people on the right and people on the left start arguing about stuff that they clearly don't really care about. They're just trying to win an argument against somebody that they, for some reason online don't like because of like opinions. I don't know, but they'll start, you know, culture wars start happening over stuff where you're like, there's no way y'all care. Like, there's no way the Little Mermaid has made you all this mad. Like, it just can't. Like, you can't think about these things as much as you're putting them online. It felt like this with this game that it was about baseball, yes. But really, it was about Houston versus DFW. And that is where I thought it was hilarious. Because as an Austinite, as a Central Texan, both of those cities stink. And so to watch... You know, the third best city argue with the fourth best city in the state of Texas about who is better. They both stink. And most of them are for the same reason. You know, Houston has humidity where Dallas doesn't, but they're both too full of people. Uh, Those people, by and large, not very nice. The traffic stinks. Everything is spread out. Uh, Houston's got better food. So I'll I'll give them that over the humidity thing. Uh, But it was just hilarious to watch friends in Dallas. And D, not even Dallas, because it's a team based in Arlington, but D, uh, my friends in DFW argue with my friends in Houston over like a baseball game. But really, it was about which city is better. And I just got to laugh and joke and and, and just stir it on a little bit. So that was a lot of fun. That part was a lot of fun. Uh, I have fallen out of love with baseball. Baseball was my first favorite sport when I was a kid. I watched if the Braves played 162 game season. I watched 150 of them, you know, like I had to be playing in a thing myself where I didn't get to see them. Uh, I just I think the other sports have pushed pushed my fandom out. Unlike you, I cannot watch seven different sports. You know, like well, I have.
0: It's probably I, not healthy for me to be fair. I
1: have a hard time kind of broad stroking into you know I'll watch some playoff games and stuff of like hockey or whatever. But like I I like to like really get to know the stuff, uh, like the teams and everything like that. And so that's just the sports writer dork brain in me. Uh, and soccer has pushed yeah. European soccer has pushed out baseball to where I am I am it used to be football basketball baseball and now it's football basketball soccer for me
0: yeah I, I i kind of curse myself for not being able to specialize like i think it's maybe just i'm too scatterbrained and that's why i watch so many different sports and i and i'm not like hyper knowledgeable about diving into it uh, obviously like college football is a little different cuz i i played it but right. uh yeah i, I kind of wish i could specialize that way <laughs> i might be able to to not have more than like a cursory
1: knowledge of it. Uh I also but, date outside of sports fandom. Uh, uh yeah. my my type of partner is not into sports. My future wife, we're getting married in six months. She went to Kerrville, Tyvee, and Texas Tech, places that are into football. She has never been to a football game in her life. I talked her into going to an Austin FC game this summer, and the only reason I did is because Uh, My friends that were supposed to take the tickets with me uh, bailed out the last second because of father stuff, you know, like their kid got sick or whatever. And so I had to take Hannah. Uh, And I remember on the way up there, I was like, when's the last time you went to a sporting event? And she goes, this is an exact quote. I think I went to a basketball game one time when I was a kid, maybe in San Antonio. And so she had no idea when the last time she had ever gone to a sporting event. So if I was you, I would be single. Uh, And I've been in one relationship with a fellow sports writer. Uh, Or I guess she was in TV mostly or whatever. Uh, And it was awful because you would get off work and then you would just like talk more about work. And then like all of a sudden she'd try to have an opinion about Dak Prescott. And you're like arguing like a sports radio talk show at 9 p.m. where it's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And so I just kind of date people outside of like my work job situation. And if I watched every single sport, I would be a lonely man, a lonely, lonely man.
0: (laughs) Well, my fiance puts up with me. Uh, also, Hannah, funnily enough.
1: Hey, nice. And uh, Look at us. Look at us. Yeah. Look at
0: us. Who would have thought? thought? Uh, but I remember like taking her to a soccer games and she her comment uh, for for the Dynamo game was, oh, it's so cute how they sing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hannah. Hannah did like the soccer game because it was like more of a party.
0: Yeah, uh, it's then, it's no, no. a good atmosphere for non-sports people, I
1: think. And it's yeah.
0: time scrunched. And you know when the game's gonna end. Right. Like they're better about like right. they're not having a whole bunch of stoppages late in the game.
1: And uh you pretty much know that like at a soccer match, you're gonna get out after two hours. Yeah. Our first year of like truly, truly dating, I was on the soccer beat, and so she got used to me being able to tell her when I was gonna get home. Like, hey, the game starts at seven. I'll be home about 11, 1130 after I write my story or whatever. Cause I knew when it was going to end. Now she just is still in the habit of like asking me what time I think I'm going to get back. And I'm like, dude, I have no <laughs> effing clue. It could be at 7 PM. It could be at midnight. Like I, who, who knows? Right. And so yeah. um, that is, that is my favorite part about soccer is it is a, a, an agreed upon time commitment between you and the sport. And I enjoy that a lot. Jay, uh, speaking of soccer, enjoy uh, the short time that the Tottenham Hotspurs are going to be on top of the English Premier League. As we all know Man City is coming they are inevitable nobody can beat them over a 38 game regular season so we just kind of hope that they struggle about kind of like Arsenal. Do you think would you rather have an Arsenal type season last year where you think you're going to win it you're on top of the table all year long and then Man City comes and rips it your heart out or would you rather them be ahead by January and then you're just playing for second third fourth place to get to the Champions League? I am a cynic so I will take the uh, Man City just making Liverpool look bad and just being in first place by 20 points in January and then just worrying about becoming second. Yeah, I'm done with hope in my life. Uh, in
0: general, <laughs> so I, I would also take January uh, just have it done. That sounded a little bit dark. didn't? No,
1: it? I loved it. That I need to put that on a shirt or something like that. We can make so much money if we put that <laughs> I'm on. I'm done with show. hope in my life. I'm done with hope in my life. That is that's how we need to end the show. Let's not let's not go any further. <laughs> we are done with hope in our lives. That is the Aggie War podcast. <laughs> have um, a good week <laughs> have a good week uh enjoy life i guess like it's meaningless and no nothing matters but eat arby's yeah eat. <laughs> exactly all right all right well we'll land this plane although who cares we'll just crash the plane who gives a shit it doesn't yeah, matter i would beat
0: the paramedics there by half an hour yeah hey it's a ron
1: white bit <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We've we've fallen off the rails here uh, for Mike Craven, for Jay Arnold, for Dave Campbell's Texas football and the Republic of football. AM Saturday, 11 a.m. Kyle Field against South Carolina. We will talk to you next week about that and the games to come.